invited my uh, the person that I have the deepest relationship with, my husband Charles, to join me today to talk about the next uh, sort of type of relationship that I wanted to address, and that is I'm gonna I'm calling it the helping relationship, but it also could be called the supporting relationship. So we're gonna talk about that together. Sounds good. Hello, everybody. So first of all, I thought we I would, you know, sort of take the lead in talking about, you know, what is it? What is a supporting or helping relationship and who does it involve? And I mean, basically, it can involve any two people, uh, parent-child relationship for sure, husband and wife, teacher and student, counselor to a client for sure that's a more maybe a more formalized one an employer and an employee could be in a supportive relationship kind of either way and two friends yeah two friends for sure and i think a helping relationship is kind of one where the person who's helping is aware that they're helping but is self-aware and attentive and the person who is receiving the help actually wants it they're open they're receptive and they're appreciative of the help yeah because sometimes the helping person can be pushy or unaware that their help is even appreciated or right or even wanted right and i think being available means you actually have that kind of time like when i was working I would never have volunteered to, say, help a young mom with their kids or do any of that stuff because I was bound by deadlines and time frames and I wasn't flexible enough to help them. And I kept making the mistake of saying, yes, I would help people or find ways to help people, but I would get myself stretched too thin and wouldn't be able to help anybody properly. Right. And I think the attentiveness piece comes when... um, it's a big problem, right? When we even when we sit down to family dinners and stuff, people have their phones and they're not fully engaged. So if you are actually going to help someone, um, you have to not be distracted. You have to be able to commit the time and not be distracted. And um, it's not just about making someone feel better in the moment. You're actually trying to help people become better. And I always kind of compare it to um, what I used to say when I was a principal and I would assign an educational assistant to a student. The purpose of that helping relationship was for the person to become independent and not need help all the time. Right. So it's not to foster some kind of dependency. Yes, codependency. And can you manage the expectations of what other people want from you you have to really uh, be careful about that because if the expectations that another person has of you are unhealthy then your whole life and being is kind of slowed down. well and the helping relationship also slows down right because they're not they're not working towards being you know um, able to manage without your help um you have to a person who wants to accept help has to want to stop being how they're being and be better yeah right so you can't just like you know just keep helping and helping and helping and then the person is always saying that makes me think of a question to the point 
that we were talking about before is managing the expectations. Like sometimes you start helping somebody and ex- expectations seem reasonable, but then it, their expectations climb and keep growing to the point where it becomes unmanageable. Um, well, and that's, I think, where you have to um, be constantly setting goals for and being honest, right? right. Because but, otherwise then they really aren't trying to be better. They're no. just trying to like drain you dry. cling on to yeah. you yeah and i think um if you are always sharing what you're learning about yourself and about what it means to help someone then that also helps the other person grow and understand what you're do trying to do for them and i always say that i want to become the kind of person that i want more of in my own life so I want, I don't want someone who's just going to, you know, when I'm in the middle of a meltdown or something, who's just going to um, push me to keep melting down. I want them to be patient and stop and listen and help me um, be better and not have to melt down anymore. So, right. and I mean, that's what we try to do for each other, right? When yes. one of us is spinning... The other person doesn't help you spin more. No, it's about calming down. It's and about coming up with... patience. And it's also about not saying, stop spinning. No. Because that doesn't help. <laughs> not at all. Stop spinning. Well, and the, the issue too is timeline and readiness. Yes. And, and like also what we are talking about in some relationships like spouses, you know, you're in it together for the long haul. So... If expectations and clinginess build and keep building and building, you know, then it can develop into an unhealthy relationship or teacher-student. Right. Or employee-employer. Like, yeah. all of those dynamics. The thing is, there are instead of just two friends, which can part ways if things go awry. Or yes. Or clients where you can fire Which I don't think, right. Yes. In I the th- other type, I mean, hopefully, the desire is for longevity. And I think we also have to realize that our actions towards others impact how, what others believe about us. And that causes our actions and reinforce our own beliefs about each other. And then influence how we act towards other people. So it's just this a circle. <laughs> it's a cyclone or a cycle. So we have to raise the standard of who we are willing to be and how we are willing to conduct ourselves and what we're willing to tolerate helps us modify our beliefs and change in that process. And so once people realize, oh, like our own kids, right? I think our kids realize what we will tolerate and what we won't. Mm -hmm. And even though, you know, we have 20 somethings and sometimes I feel like they push us to you know, almost like stop being reasonable because 20-somethings I find are very self-absorbed. So, um, but they know what we expect of them. Yes. At some level. Yes, well, I guess, because we've always communicated that clearly with them. And I think that comes to it right then and there, like, and we'll talk about that, like being able to 
connect at the heart level and work toward building a congruent relationship that is authentic and honest. And you have to be able to, as the person who is helping, you have to be able to have compassion for the other person. And that sometimes takes imagination because maybe you look at their life and think, well, they don't really have that many problems, right? So, Or you, you could also think they brought all those problems on themselves. themselves. Right. So then it's harder to have patience sometimes. Yes. So, but you really have to take that act of imagination and leap into the other person's life and sort of just Mm -hmm. take them where they're at and seek to understand, accept the differences that are between you and among you, and then open up your ears to voices that sound different from your own coming from places and experiences that you've not had. And that is, to me, that's what tolerance is, right? Yeah. Because you're actually able to... I think, though, because we just don't, like, as humans, we prefer things the same and we are resistant to change and just our brains are. Yeah. I think that, that um, you know, keeping our ears open to voices that sound different from our own it's very easy to slip into where we are. We just prefer to be like with like. Yes. And we hang out with people that are comfortable to hang out with. Right. Um, yes. And, and then, we're not seeking relationships that challenge us. Right. Beyond our own sense of right. what. And so, and also when the person is asking for help and all of a sudden it's not exactly what they wanted anymore. Mm-hmm. yeah that's right yeah and so um some of the basic ingredients of of a person like of a helping relationship are acceptance and on both sides yeah respect on both sides Mm -hmm. so if all of a sudden you are coming across as needy and then someone steps up to help you actually have to respect the fact that you were coming across as needy that is why i stepped up to help yeah Absolutely. And some people can't. It's kind of like, I just want to be needy, 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 needy. But I don't want anyone to really help me. I just want to be needy. Right. Well, it's interesting. I just saw a tweet this morning. Uh, Somebody said, um, are you ever sick of toxic positivity? And they were upset with people who always brush off problems with positive sayings and positive encouragement. And this person was thinking of a particular like church group type where where everything is always supposed to be f- pleasant and good and you don't ever admit to bad and sad emotions. Right. And so there's, they call that toxic positivity. But as you read through the comments, some people were like, yeah, you know, I have mental health problems. I have depression. I don't need to be told that I should diet and exercise one more time because I already know I need to diet and exercise. Right. But then they're also like, okay, I'm just happy being in my little depressive mode and any effort to speak into somebody's lives or suggest something positive, now they're calling it toxic positivity. So you can't win. No. And that, I think, is where we seek to understand, right? So you actually are uh, self-aware enough that it's not about you. The helping is not about you. No. There's no personal reward or... no. But you are under you are in a 
position in your life that you're self-aware enough to understand when you need to walk away yeah and not try and you can still have empathy for a person Mm -hmm. but if there's not trust and a warmth and a genuineness between you and that desire for everybody to be learning something and healthy boundaries then the helping relationship really isn't gonna work well but it's tricky for you and i because we were raised with that call or purpose or burden to be a help to other people right and we've had to learn we've had to learn that Sometimes people just don't want to be helped. No. And I think good helping comes from the identity and the integrity and the authenticity of the person who is helping. Yes. And when you're, you know, when you have your own identity and integrity, you don't, you're not really worrying about, like, if the person says or comes across as if they don't, then it's no skin off your nose. No, exactly. It's just whatever. Mm -hmm. And... You know, you get to the point where you have compassion and you're kind of in tune with yourself and what's going on around you at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you're not self-absorbed. And, um, you know, I think we also, um, as part of being helpers, we care about establishing a, a sense of justice in the world. Yeah. Like we care about standing up for things. Yeah. That. When it makes sense. I mean, I, I'm interested. You're reading the White Fragility book right now. Yeah. And I'm interested in maybe talking about that at a podcast. The, yeah. the first chapter is really, really interesting because it's all the definitions of all the terms. Everything's really laid out. And yeah. and all of the excuses and protests that people might have are kind of all there. Yeah. And so even some of the thoughts I've had in the past are like, oh, wait. Right. So, but... Anyway, the book is. But people who the have invitation a, at the in the first chapter is to what we're talking about: be open to helping learn and, and learn. to be to change. Yeah, yeah. And um, wisdom is the great balance of emotions and rational thinking. Right? We feel that we want a sense of justice, and we know that we should do certain things. And wisdom is kind of figuring out what the pathway is. Right. So it's not just all emotional hype. Yeah. You have to have some rational strategy and and kind of meet in the middle. Yeah. And I when I was a principal and I was in inner city schools, I did a bunch of workshops with the staff then. They didn't like it, but it's too bad. It was done <laughs> by their own union at that time too. In about deficit model thinking. Right. And I, it was a really poor community, but if you think of them in terms of their deficits, mm-hmm. you never move forward. So I think we have to make sure that we don't see people as broken. Yeah. We don't see people as deficit, that we are always seeking to understand mm-hmm. what their way of thinking and how their life has been and why what their experiences have been and what has brought them to the point where they right. are at in their lives. Yeah. I just remember while well, conversations with others and and reading stuff to um like i don't know if you remember talking with tracy like she would often if she was out in public people watching and she'd see somebody that obviously whose life was a mess or whatever and she would try to think of oh um 
this this woman or girl is beautiful, but her fear and anger have reduced her to this. Right. Uh, who is her? Who is she? What is her real inner beauty? Or she'd talk about you know the man wanted to be, you know, some kind of you know had imagined as a boy that he would be like this but then he's totally defeated and broken down yes and it was so that whole thing is seeking to understand the other person's story there's a saying that says there's no glory except straight through your story right and you have to understand it Mm -hmm. but autonomy and control never belong to the helper no and we have to always you have to be wholehearted about you know the helper has to be wholehearted about the fact that they know that yeah. this isn't about them mm-hmm. and the help the person being helped or supported has to be ready to wholeheartedly change right so without those things well and that whole thing about autonomy and control do not belong to the helper i saw that from my dad when we were uh, my parents were missionaries in a third world in a developing country and um, we would see other non-profit religious groups that would have like soup kitchens or feeding the poor, clothing the poor. But their requirement was that these people had to participate in some kind of a church service or right, right. read or be well, taught. Well, we've seen some, that locally. Well, even here, but like there, locally. it was. And I would say to my dad, like, we don't do that. And he, and he said, well, no, because that's not true spirit of helping right. that is requiring yes some kind of <laughs> yeah, payback right like yeah. yeah and i mean if we want to be helpers we have to you know kind of use the tools of attending and listening and reflecting and encouraging and questioning and i mean i think of someone like i was listening to my kane ramsey my cognitive behavior thing this morning Mm -hmm. and he was talking about himself as an angry person and his story was going back to when his father rejected him and you know um, him actually being in counseling and having someone listen to that story and help and reflect on it and encourage him and question him you know Mm -hmm. is that could that be a reason why you're angry like because you're holding on to that rejection Mm -hmm. and sometimes silence is a good tool too yeah just letting the like being silent with somebody or just that or just being silent letting them talk yes yeah Yeah. and not like i think sometimes we and i'm like this because i'm a problem solver that's one of my things that i do and i've almost got the problem solved before the person said oh yeah (laughs) before the person is finished that's telling the whole just for the audience's sake that's that's one of our often uh arguments where i'm like give me some time to just reach the same conclusion you've already reached yeah and i mean the the big tool is to give before you receive and like give of yourself In all those ways, attending, listening, reflecting, whatever, Mm -hmm. knowing that you may never receive that back and that's okay. And because you're shifting the spotlight to the other person, Mm -hmm. showing that you're paying attention to what they are thinking and what their process is. And you're offering praise and encouragement for their process and their effort how they're they're, doing it and how they're working through it because we all don't have to have the same process no exactly 
and we have to listen three times more than you talk. Well, that kind of reminds me again, going back to the silence idea. I, I remember when I was grieving the loss of my dad, the most helpful companionship was were, were the people that would just sit with you and not talk. Yeah. And not even wait for me to talk. We would just be quiet. Yeah. For 10, 20 minutes, which is weird because we always want to fill the silence. Yes, but, that's, but sometimes it isn't. And sometimes you have to know when to ask a question. What do you need right now? Yeah. You know, looking into somebody else's eyes. And I think sometimes we only have... That's we, all we can do now with masks. Yes, we can just look <laughs> in each other's eyes. True enough. Total off topic, yeah. but did you know that lipstick sales are down because there's yeah, no course. point? And eye makeup sales are up. That's funny. <laughs> Only speak when you have something important to say and always define important as what matters to the other person, not you. Which is hard to do sometimes. Wouldn't that change conversation, though? Yes. And be thought, being thoughtful simply because you can? Mm -hmm. I can do this, so I'm going to. And that whole idea of seeking to understand others and forget about trying to get your opinions, your perspective, your point of view across and choose your words wisely. Be happy. Yeah. Be enthusiastic. Not optimistic, but obviously not too optimistic. <laughs> Well, but, apparently. But remembering as well that you are helping. Well, you know how sometimes some people come across as like chirpy. Like, yes. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Pollyanna. Pollyanna. <laughs> yeah. We, we talk about that. But you are also an important thing that I've been reading about a lot as well is that you are a helper, not a doormat. Right. So you can't just let yourself be. And people who have that personality or that's more given towards relation like being relational uh interconnecting with people they love bringing people together they love connecting with like all of that that personality has a harder time i think not being a doormat when they are a helper yes like, and i also think that there's this thing where you are so filled fulfilled by helping other people that it's almost like you neglect relationships where the people don't need help right Right. So yeah. um, and I the, when you talk about barriers, you know, that leads directly into watch out for perpetual takers, lazy, selfish people with their own schedule who just take from you. Right. So these are like barriers between helping and yeah. hel and helpies. Barriers. <laughs> yeah. You can't to help a, a person a, who's a, a you healthy helping. Yes. Healthy helping yeah. and energy vampires. I like that phrase. That's a good one. They Reminds suck all the, the life out of you. <laughs> of the, it's like that leaky coffee cup. They yeah. keep pouring the coffee yeah. in, but the, it just leaks enough. out. And I think some of the things that um, are barriers to it when you're just advising, when you're always saying, I think you should, I think you should, I think you should. Right. People don't, that's not helping anybody. No. Or well, one upping them. That's nothing. Like, wait till you hear what happened to me, my the life. Competitive. Yeah, that whole piece of it. Um, educating somebody else. Yeah. Like, this could turn into a very positive experience if you just did yeah, this. Yeah. That's kind of like advice. And I don't think consoling helps all the time. I'm not saying you can't console somebody, but, you know, it, it's not, but always consoling or, you know, sticking consoling in no matter what the case is. You did the best you could. Sometimes you need to say, well, no, you just need to move past this. Like, yeah. you, it's not. 
mm-hmm. you know, and the, the storytelling is kind of like the one-upping. That reminds me of the time when this happened and right. this, you know. And then I have felt shut down by people sometimes. Like, just well, cheer up. Well, that's the toxic positivity, maybe. Yeah, yeah. cheer up. Cheer Don't up. feel so bad. Like, yeah. life is great. Life's a bowl of cherries, you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. When you really actually need somebody... To, to say it really does suck right now. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. It does suck, and sympathizing is a you know is kind of like consoling. Yeah, but saying oh you poor thing. Like if know. a person is really just wanting to wallow in their whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I've said to people who have had bad things happen, I'm really sorry this has happened to you, mm-hmm. but that's not like. Oh, that's so terrible! Like you, this isn't you. You poor thing. You poor th- like there's. Just... And then every well, and that I think also like subsequent conversations or phone calls or whatever saying, "Oh, you poor thing," over yeah. and over again. Yeah. Just yeah, it's the crappy. Cycle. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just thinking of when our kids were little and would fall down, and you know we would we would let them cry a bit and then check out if they were okay, and then we would say, "Yeah, I know it's okay to cry because it hurts." And um, then we would try and distract them, and then we would check, you know, does it still hurt? No, not really. See, then you're okay, and then yeah. we kind of move on. Yeah. Um, I'd also, you shouldn't be interrogating people about stuff. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> as fun as that would be, <laughs> sometimes. Or, so, how did this happen? Yeah, yeah. Explaining, I, you know, you can't explain yourself out of a, a helping... Explaining away me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, correcting, that's not how it happened. Ooh. Yeah, that's yeah, hard. No, I know. But, well, and think of it as parent-child or siblings. One sibling sees that the event happened this way, the other sibling doesn't see the yeah. same event. Even well, and I mean, I lived that event. my whole life as a principal where two kids would come in with a problem mm-hmm. and they had exactly opposite stories. Right. So you just had to listen through it and the yeah. truth was somewhere. But for those kids, the one that's they correcting to... the other kid is not helping. No. no, no. And I would say to them, you'll get your chance when he's finished talking. Yeah. And sometimes I just separate them. Mm-hmm. And then there's ways where you don't want to ask for help. Like you just think everything's going to go away by itself and you're Mm. embarrassed or afraid to ask. Right. And sometimes you get in such a state. Well, and I think that helpers are sometimes the worst people to ask for help because of their pride. Yeah. Yes. Well, and and people who lack self-awareness can be pretty hard on somebody who's coming to them for help yes so um sometimes though you get yourself into a bit of a pit where you think that no one is actually going to understand or get it Mm -hmm. and maybe that oh this problem isn't bad enough or the person's going to judge me and i mean i think we are aware that there are um a lack of services and i think you know, during COVID particularly, yeah. it's been more difficult for people. Um, but I think there's always a place you can go for help. Like, I mean, I took this cognitive behavior therapy course more for myself mm-hmm. than for what it would get give me for other people. It's, no, but, I mean, it's helped the rest of us indirectly. Yeah, and it's just... And I haven't... 
um, I've shared, you know, things I've learned from it, but not in any expectation that everybody's going to, you know, sort of fall at my feet and want my help. No. Because it's been more about me. Um, you should never think that it's too, that it costs too much or it's too time consuming. I know that we've had, you know, we had some times in our life where we went and got counseling when we couldn't really, really afford, afford it. it. And it was... It was worth it completely. Yeah. Um, and I think some a lot of times you make choices on, in your life based on fear. And we've I've talked about that before in other podcasts. Sometimes you fear losing control. Sometimes you fear, you know, getting more help than you need, getting into some kind of weird relationship with yeah. this person or getting the wrong kind of help, getting rejo- rejected, being vulnerable and then having somebody use it against you. Yeah. Which is that. why it's tricky mm-hmm. in professional circles and with friends that is tricky. Yeah, and I think there are people who just don't like to feel indebted and don't want to share certain things. And there's a power balance in yeah. a relationship, particularly people. They're happy to listen to you and mm-hmm. and help you, but they won't ever no. reiterate the other way. You know, and kind of, um, I should do this alone. I don't want to bother anyone. And yeah. yet they're thrilled and happy to be the helper. Right. But as soon as the tables turn and they're then going they through a rough top, then they should be able to handle it by themselves. So what are the benefits of a helpful relationship? A I think a healthy, one? helpful relationship strengthens or, like strengthens a connection. Yeah. Because it's like in a marriage, sometimes I need help, sometimes you need help. So it's just balanced. Mm-hmm. And... I think as your children grow up and mature, then it becomes more balanced. And I think it builds your confidence because it practices you being a learner and a problem solver. And it, if you are actually wanting to be part of a healthy, helping, supportive relationship, you're going to have to know yourself and be able to articulate your identity. Both the helpy and the helper. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, when you're going through something, you're going to be less stressed if you're sharing. Mm-hmm. Maybe not on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I that? do <laughs> say, I do sometimes think, really, you wanted to post that? Like, that's all your thoughts about the decision you're about to make. And now you've just posted that on Facebook. And then, but and then five days later, you change you, your... you your mind and you post all that on Facebook. Yeah. So it just, I don't know. And I mean, practically, it, get, it it's a way to develop strategies and ways to cope, mm-hmm. is to share your story. Mm-hmm. And like, not to think of it so much as helper up here and person being helped down no, here. No, the, it shouldn't really be a it's hierarchy. It's a balance. Yeah. It's a mutual. And I mean, I've talked a lot about perspective, and I just feel like you are a better person the more you look at things from different perspectives. Right. And I guess helping reduces isolation and the feeling of being alone or loneliness. Yeah. And sometimes it can just prevent the problem from just getting bigger, bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And bigger, and bigger. Well, and the bigger. spinning, right? So. And you become a 
better helper when you learn to be helped. Mm-hmm. Which is like what we're saying about some people who just want, they want to help you and support you. And we, you know, we have been involved in some relationships like that where, you know, yeah. And as soon as we didn't need help anymore, then the person seemed to just be gone because yeah, that was the, the only relationship. There was. Yeah. That was the, the way that, um, and altruism is contagious. I mean, you want to, um, help others as mm. an example Absolutely. And I, I mean, one of the uh, adv- or one of the strategies that counselors often give to people who are feeling down or depressed or in pain is to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. Lowering your blood pressure, apparently. Yeah. It lowers your blood pressure to, to be altruistic else. and whatever. Well, I guess it must set off the, the oxytocin and all the other feel-good uh, chemicals in the brain. And doesn't it fe- make you feel more hopeful, more grounded to yeah. be reaching out to other people rather than just, you know, and particularly when you reach out without feeling like you are waiting for it to come back to you. No, yeah. And uh, or some reward in Yeah. And it gives you <laughs> purpose and belonging. Obviously, less loneliness inner peace satisfaction like you know it uh, that whole sense of renewal and then that whole line of paying it forward and yeah. creating a cycle of of happiness for others yeah like it's been fun to be on the receiving end of something and then you know you say how can i repay you and they say oh just help somebody else and yeah then when we've done that it, it's kind of fun to yeah no don't that. worry about it no I, I i don't need anything i just thought about you today yeah. and wanted to do something that i hoped would lift your spirits yeah. boom and that takes me to the sort of the talking about the end of this where it's the idea of making the world a better place and i read this story of networking in this village in uh, Uganda and a woman was going into the village to do research on these women and their goal was to eradicate poverty in their village and so these this group of women like were worked vigorously in a multitude of ways to achieve that goal of eradicating eradicating poverty in their village mm-hmm. so um, they ed- they were very focused on education and taking workshops, so they supported each other to go. Like, they did all kinds of, like, bead or like, things that they sell- sold. And so right. if there was a workshop, they, they would send their um, person to learn how to be a better business person. And then or she would come back, back and train with the, the others. And then and while she was off at that workshop, then they, the rest of the women ensured that the children attended school and behaved and mm-hmm. because literacy was like extremely important in their community. And then there was a strong commitment to collaborating. They always shared the load because to prosper both individually and in ways that would benefit the greater community so they wanted each individual family to be successful but in order to benefit and that they understood that they could not achieve what they were able to do unless they worked as a group and they all yeah no go ahead well and it was just interesting um they made time for each other emotionally and socially as well Mm -hmm. 
And so... I just think that's great, but I think our problem in the West and is our individualism uh, philosophy and that we embrace individualism instead of... Well, and she addresses that, the person that... And I, I read this story in Dropped Threads 3. Mm-hmm. But um, we don't need networks for survival in North America. They are an embarrassing privilege of middle class. Our survival or our child's well-being do not depend upon our collaboration with, with somebody else. No. Like Although co- maybe, well, COVID, COVID is has bringing some of that sort up, of, sort of, but then sharing resources or working collaboratively for the betterment of our communities or like, we just don't, we don't need that. No. We are very individualistic. When you, worked in, when you were in the inner city schools, did you see families helping each other a bit more? And, or did they just rely on government assistance? Yeah, it was more that, I think. They didn't have that sense of networking. Like, networking to us yeah. is going and meeting for drinks and talking about Whatever. superficial stuff. Yeah. Like, it would... So, we don't have that kind of um, existence where we kind of give people strategies when we feel insecure because we're afraid. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because we have heard of a couple circles of friends now during COVID where, you know, they're making plans for either teaching each other's kids or child care. Yeah. Or, but it's very, very small mm-hmm. pockets. No. And, and we just don't, you know, in order to be able to do that, we have to be able to slow down. Like even when we've done some yoga and you concentrate on your breathing and being confident and like this group of women they were visualizing how they wanted things to go as a group as a community and sometimes you just need to i think it's interesting well that happens in so many of these this research in these stories how the men are not there yeah and there was no discussion i mean it's a woman's book it's a woman's book but i mean this isn't the first time where it's the women that are the fighters yeah and the the ones that rise above and yeah and i guess some people say well the men are off at war or they're off working and whatever but isn't it don't you find it interesting how we don't um we don't very often like right now i've been writing little cards during covid to certain people and i actually in the cards talk about what some of their best qualities are. Yeah. But how often do we ever talk to each other about, like if I want to think about my best qualities, I would actually have to keep a list of my own best qualities. I wouldn't have Sorry, somebody. I'm not telling you. No, <laughs> but I'm just saying that that's not what we do as no. women to oh, each I see. other. No, I'm sorry. As and women. in our 50s, that's a really important time for well, us to be saying you are uh, this person or that person or you're you're this and that it's it's evident that you're yeah. that. Well, this goes to show a little bit maybe culturally as well because when I was in Colombia in South America with my Colombian friends, I did go to schools with expats, so I had friends from North America as well. But anyway, with my Colombian friends when I was like 15, there was about 20 of us and we were all just hanging out, having a Coke or whatever. And we said, hey, let's uh, sit in a circle. And up to the person on the right, you give them a compliment about something that you appreciate about right. them. And to the person on the left, 
you give them a challenge of something that they should try or, or be different right. at. We were 15. Yeah. And when, when I came to Canada at 18, all the men were just talking about cars, computers, and girls. And I was so frustrated because yeah. I couldn't find any mature... But that's a that's any mature guy. And I still haven't found very many male friends no. that have any depth. Sorry. <laughs> no, but... And I mean, I think if we really want to make the world a better place, we can't compare ourselves to others... We have to work on being conversational, deeply conversational. And we have to make sure that the stories we tell ourselves are the are the truth about ourselves. Yes. Which right? is why I married you. Because our first date, we had deep conversations. Yes. And we were very honest. And we have to ignore the harsh inner critic. Wow, and I think that was a... <laughs> Okay. That is true. It was a 10-hour, 12-hour, 14-hour date. So, I mean, I think particularly for women in their 50s, when things are happening to their bodies that they aren't expecting, like, we have to not have an inner critic, but even more importantly, we have to have an outer, we have to have people on the outside Mm -hmm. helping us to see the, the great parts of ourselves, and we have to do that for other people. So... It's that sort of idea of becoming grounded in living in the outside world and being focused on other people. Mm-hmm. And that makes us in tune feel better. And, um, yeah, patience, maturity, empowering people to manage their own problems, not imposing yourself on others. Well, and I think that that often happens in the dynamic where there's already an internal power structure or uh, uh, economic difference yeah or, right well and the the power struggle is part of the relationship as you move towards having a more intimate relationship with somebody if yeah. you can get through those differences yeah. really work on them and be like, honest about well them. i'm not i haven't ever i haven't been manager too many times in in my job just a couple but you have and you know that's that whole it's lonely at the top but you were able to develop some collegial slash friends relationships that the boundaries of your status like your your position and their position didn't impact the friendship nor did they take advantage of it nor did yes uh, nor did you abuse it but right Two no. people, three, that like yeah. it's far, it's, it's hard to. Well, and I think the thing is that if you don't settle, like I never settled for the first interpretation of a situation, um, but I look to other people to help me positive interpret events. And, and like if you learn to look at things from a variety of yes. interpretations and perspectives mm-hmm. then you feel better and you're more at peace with yourself and you're more aware of your surroundings and you treat be- people better and you're less influenced by r- randomness mm-hmm. and i think we have to remember that each of us when it comes right down to it we are alone yeah and we have to be aware of this and we also have to be able to empathize, empathize, empathize with other people's isolation because then, then we're less alone. Right. And empathy breeds compassion. So never hesitate to act. 
Remember to invest time, not just spend time. Live your life proactively by controlling what you believe, what you buy, what your attitude is, what you pioneer, where you go, where you live, how you work and what you read and write and what you choose to like or dislike. So if you're that self-aware, then you're going to be making a much better contribution. You're right. going to be making the world. But you can't arrive at that in one fell swoop. You never arrive at it, I Well, don't you think. never arrive at it. But I some some people in the depths of despair can't even see that they could work proactively in one thing. Yes, and I think that becomes like when you are talking with someone and they're stuck, right, like yeah. that. If you have a growth mindset and you're having all those feelings, like you have a hunger for a new insight. Like I'm good enough today, I'm good mm -hmm. enough today, but I want to be better and so that make if I'm at peace with myself, then I want to be giving and sincere and generous and honest and creative and loving and authentic and compassionate. But I'm always hoping for bigger and better. And, and that is like um, that idea that you can actually trans transcend yourself. You don't, you aren't always thinking about yourself. Right. And that loneliness and that... Or that as that idea of well, we are alone, like in the end. Yes, yes. I am. I am me. Yeah. I am me alone in a room. Like that's me. Yeah. But I'm also a universal and benevolent thinker that can move past that. Yeah, exactly. You're not trapped by that. So ten ways to make the world a better place. Is that that's how, how we're, we're wrapping getting, up. We're wrapping up. Unless you have something more important to say. More. Not more important, but something more that is important. <laughs> that is important. <laughs> Ten ways... I, wait, I might have things to say that are more important than what you've said, but no. Ten ways to make the world a better place. Okay, first, compliment friends and strangers. Which I do that all the time. Yes. I do. And uh, now that we are wearing masks, we can't see smiles. Yeah. And Well, you can maybe see squints, but you can't really see smiles. So it's important... To say something with words. So, you know, at the grocery store today, she said, you know, have a nice day. And I said, thank you for doing your job. Yeah. And, or, uh, or when you say hello, like, you know, it's, it's nice to see you. It's nice that you're here. Yeah. Right. Like just say something. Yes. Because when we smile, we send all those messages. Right. But, but we you can't, can't see them now. So it's important to use our words. Yeah. Uh, spending wisely. I like number three, talking politics productively. Yeah. That's an Every, in... Well, uh, everybody that's needs an to Oprah, learn how to do that. That's or, an Oprah Winfrey. Okay. Make the world a better place. Talk politics, politics productively. productively. Vaccinate and be an organ donor. Browse for worthy causes. And that's actually an Oprah one as well. Like mm -hmm. she said, don't just give to the first thing. Right. Like actually browse. Yeah, well, look at what some of the charities that we've researched and it's like, wow, 80% oh, yeah. just goes to their salaries. Yeah, and, and I yeah. think um, in the book Untamed, she has a charity in there and it, the whole name of it has left me, right? Um, Rise Above, I think mm -hmm. it's called. Like there's so many things out there that we aren't, aren't even yeah. aware of. Yeah. Know your neighbors. We try to. We try to. A little bit. <laughs> We, we haven't had much luck. No, in but that. we're we're trying. Be prepared for anything. 
eat your leftovers and wait be prepared isn't that like boy scouts yeah girl girl guides it is the same idea um (laughs) eat your leftovers and plant a garden well that would definitely make the world a better place give away your unwanted stuff yes i i think it's really cool now that uh i think it's on facebook or other places there are the free groups where you kind of just give put things that you here here you can have it and i think the last statement i want to make is those of us with privilege have a responsibility to go beyond ourselves and stand up for others, to reject the belief that some people are more valuable than others. Yeah. And I think and that's that going to be when we talk about white privilege, frigid. that white fragility, yeah. that's going to be a huge yeah. part. And I think we will probably talk about that either next or the next one after that. And I might um, see if Wendy will come back and talk about that as well. Cool. She would give an interesting yeah. uh, perspective on that. But uh, as women, we need to um help each other more i think i think that's the the conclusion that i've come to and by default i'm a middle-aged white straight male so i supposedly have privilege yeah so i mean i i shouldn't say supposedly that's putting down the fact that i don't but definitely need to be open to going beyond that and to recognizing the fact that that is a truth and not and act proactively because of it, not be like guilty or ashamed right. or angry or whatever. No, it's that idea of just saying I'm I'm here to empower others, and I like I want to go back to that universally bene- a universal and benevolent thinker mm-hmm. who really doesn't believe that some people are more valuable than others. Yeah, and I think sometimes even. You know, when I was part of a fundamental Christian church, it was almost like, oh, we need to help these poor, poor people. Yeah. When in, in we really don't. We well, they wanted un- the poor so that they could have a project. Yes. We need to understand each other, lift each other up, yeah. and remember that we're all the same. We are, you know, we are all the same. Take all the ego out of it. Yeah. And remember we're all in this together. Yeah. And, I mean, if you want to go scientific and just go, like chromosomes and dna like there's very very small differences between yes. one human and another human exactly but we get all hung up on culture mm-hmm. race ethnicity status money yeah so our goal is universal and benevolent thought Sounds so good. thanks for joining us for uh, at no room for phonies for this edition the helping relationship